You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions, and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. On today's show, I'm going to deviate from the usual format. In the news lately, we are hearing so much about tragedy related to police killings, racism, hate crimes, and the desperate need for more frequent dialogue at every level if we're ever going to turn the tide and affect meaningful change. I mean, there's TED Talks about things like the importance of not just trying to be colorblind, but being color brave and being willing to be comfortable with the discomfort of engaging in these discussions. And that willingness to engage is, of course, the same first step, whether we're addressing issues regarding race, gender, religion, age, sexual orientation, politics, immigration, education, healthcare, gun control, the list goes on and on. But I think, for me, the real problem is not the willingness to have these conversations. The problem is that willingness alone doesn't move the needle. Most people are theoretically willing, and I think they truly want to be part of the solution, but at the same time, they're afraid to engage. And it seems to me, from what I understand, that this is from two major reasons. First is because, frankly, engagement requires vulnerability, and there's a lack of trust that that vulnerability is going to be reciprocal, that if you show vulnerability, it's going to come back and haunt you, to bite you in the tail. People are afraid of saying the wrong thing, being misunderstood, being lumped into negative stereotypes about whatever demographic group they happen to belong to. And ultimately, they're afraid of making things worse, especially for themselves, by making mistakes. People need to feel safe, at least safe enough to allow themselves to take that first leap and engage to take that step and begin the discussion. These discussions are about collectively engaging on a societal learning curve. Now, in school, we tell our students over and over again, learning requires risk-taking. It's okay and even good to make mistakes. Entrepreneurs are told, you have to fail fast, fail strong, fail, fail, fail in order to succeed. Even one of the theme songs of the movie Zootopia was Shakira's Try Everything with the line, I want to try everything even if I might fail. It's repeated over and over. But fear in making those mistakes in discussions about race and bias and other things there's not that security that it's okay, that there's going to be that kind of forgiveness where people will say, oh, that's okay, just try again. You're afraid of risking the reputation as part of the learning curve if we're not willing to help each other learn from those mistakes instead of letting those mistakes, those momentary mistakes, define them and be willing to learn from them as part of uh, People are afraid that any mistake they make is going to get thrown back in their face, that there's going to be a scarlet A on their chest or whatever it happens to be that will define them for life. The safety to make mistakes and learn part from them is part of the process that has to be set first so that people are able to step into their vulnerability and practice meaningfully in these conversations. Second, aside from the vulnerability, while they may want to engage and be willing to step into that vulnerability, 
they simply don't know how. They open their mouths and nothing comes out. Right? I mean, most people are either conflict averse or what I otherwise call conflict clumsy, even on the little issues, talking to family, friends, neighbors, coworkers. If you don't feel confident in your ability to tactfully discuss things like how to give constructive feedback to a peer or an employee, or how to decide whether or not to invite certain family members to a holiday dinner, how on earth can you be expected to engage productively in discussions about systemic problems like white privilege in society or unconscious bias in the workplace? Now, personally, I want to do my part to facilitate and participate in this discussion. So in some future episodes, I am going to have leaders on as guests who can help to personally address some of these specific challenges and facilitate that discussion for others. But for now, I think that the first essential step is to lay the groundwork by looking at some of the fundamental skills and steps at having difficult or sensitive discussions before we look at applying them to some of these huge issues. Now, in my book, Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice, chapter eight is about listening to influence. And in it, I have a step-by-step protocol for people to follow together to facilitate difficult discussions and ensure that everyone feels both heard and understood, which is the first essential step to all progress. Most people argue and they talk past each other with this constant frustration forefront in their mind that just says, you're not listening to me, you don't understand me. And until they feel heard and understood, they cannot hear and understand. So today, I want to share those steps with you, and I'll share a link in the show notes for you to download the worksheet in its entirety afterward. But I've brought in a special guest to walk through those steps with me today. My husband, Larry DeMarco. Larry's an attorney, owner of DeMarco and DeMarco PC in Philadelphia, and founder of the YouTube channel, The Law Center, as well as the website, PA Voter Information Network. Larry, you want to say hi? Except, Larry, I'm not hearing you all of a sudden, so I don't know what you just did. I muted myself, so I would not (laughs) make any ambient sound while you were going through that great introduction. I apologize. Laura, thank you for inviting me to be a guest on your show and for sharing these steps that I can tell all your listeners changed my life and improved my listening and communication skills. So everyone, you're in for a treat. (laughs) Yeah, the treat of of conflict management. What's most important is that for me, of course, it changed my life as well. It changed our marriage. And this is why I'm bringing Larry in, because I initially put together these steps a few years ago to help us work out our own disagreements, which every couple has. And it made, I think, a huge difference in our ability to address problems and find solutions the first time around. You know, even if we didn't necessarily agree on everything in the end, we were able to reach agreements and most importantly, I think, to strengthen our relationship because it let us bypass the melodrama and it ensured to me, at least I think you can confirm, that we both felt heard and understood as a part of the process. So I want to thank you for being willing to come and share your side of the story because with all stories, there are at least two sides and often many, many more than that. And today we're going to get a little bit vulnerable with everybody else out there and let you peek into our world. Now, personally, when it comes to handling conflict, I've always been somebody who wants to engage immediately. I need to be sure I'm accurate in what I say and in sharing my details as part of the argument. And my goal is just to find solutions ASAP. I'm not good at waiting. I'm not good at letting things just sit because then they fester in me. And if it's bugging me, I have to deal with it or it drives me nuts. So Larry, what was your natural wiring and 
what was tough for you in handling disagreements or handling conflict with me, especially when we first got married? Well, I think one of the reasons why we get along is I also have an eagerness to discuss important stuff. So that I found very relatable. One challenge that I would say I ran into when we would have discussions is I'm an emotional person. I know that's not news to you, (laughs) but I have some triggers or I get an adrenaline rush when I feel extreme emotion. Now, I enjoy discussing emotional things and I'm very comfortable doing that. However, when a couple like us hit some type of conflict and you would say things that would trigger emotion in me, I introspectively enough could recognize that I needed to step away. And you and I had some growing pains where I would say, I can't talk about this right now. And I think that we had a misunderstanding. You thought that meant I didn't want to discuss something. But on the contrary, I recognize its importance. But what you were saying was causing me to feel that adrenaline rush that inhibited my ability to listen and to speak and to focus. So that was a challenge that we had, that you would hit some emotional triggers that I knew I needed. My conflict tolerance was uncontrollable. I needed a break and we had to get that rhythm where we understood what that meant to each other. Yeah. So I think when you hit the adrenaline rush, you needed to back off. And I misinterpreted that as you just not wanting to deal with it anymore and walk away. So we ended up having this cat and mouse where I would not want to let you off the hook and you'd be trying to get off the hook or at least trying to get some space to help me. And I didn't get that that was actually in my best interest to give you that space. So we had to learn a big piece of this, of each other's natural dynamic and how to not misinterpret those intentions. So in putting this together, and of course now I should mention that not only did have we put this protocol together, but we've been using it as well for the marriage preparation workshops for engaged couples at our church and for other organizations. So this is something that a lot of people have really found valuable in personal discussions. And I've used it with clients as well. And we'll share some of those stories along the way. So Larry, let's take a look at this listening to understand worksheet. And again, everybody, this will be available for you to download on the website and on the show notes. Step one, well, number before you even start in, there's the importance of assuming positive intent on the part of your partner, whoever you're talking, partner meaning whoever you're talking with. Don't just assume that they're out to get you or that they're not interested. You have to give them the benefit of the doubt or else don't even begin the conversation because you're already starting off to lose. So once you've done that, step one, frankly, is get paper and pen or pencil for each person. And you can take a moment to jot down any thoughts that you want to organize before you even start. Larry, out of curiosity, when I first came to you with this worksheet and said, okay, I'm tired of us arguing, I'm tired of us not getting through and not constantly feeling frustrated and being emotional, and I gave you this sheet of steps, what was your first reaction? That it was infantile, (laughs) that it was silly, that it was a waste of time and unnecessary. Why? Really because I didn't want to have the discussion to begin with. The problem is yours. It wasn't mine. I would rather not discuss anything unpleasant at all. And I was fine with things. And if when you came to discuss or when you came with this formal beginning of what I knew was going to be a long discussion, I was thinking, no, work that out without me or it was intimidating in a way. Mm. So when I gave you the pen and paper and I took one for myself, what was your thought? 
initially, yeah. as I explained, it okay. was silly or something I didn't want to do. I don't need this. Keep your paper. Okay. So with that, then once everybody's jotted down whatever their initial thoughts are that they're going to want to share, step two is to decide who's going to go first. And for us, since it was my idea, it was my worksheet, I wanted you to feel safe. I knew you were the more emotional of the two of us, as you mentioned originally. I told you to go first to share whatever you wanted. And as this procedure goes, as you were talking, as the first person talks, my role is simply to listen and take notes. I wasn't going to interject anything. The only time I could interrupt was to ask for clarification, ask for repetition, like, what did you mean by X? Or could you repeat that? I, I missed it as you, as you were talking quickly. And I would otherwise then just take notes. I mean, take notes at that point to remember whatever the other person's key points are, to jot down any comments or any questions that you want to ask later on. So you can come back to it without worrying about forgetting what you wanted to say. But you got to, if you're the listener, if you're person B, you've got to hold your tongue for the moment and let the other person say everything that they wanted to say. Larry, how did that work for you the first time around? Very positively. That's empowering. I completely lost any negative reaction that, hey, you were there to hear what I had to say. You were writing things down. That was heady for me. That was, I felt important. I felt empowered and I think that first step is a really good step to get someone to open up, which I always did. Now, once that person is done with, and they feel like they've gotten everything out of their system, you know, if they take a break, if they breathe for a minute or two and pause, don't just assume they're done and jump into the next stage. Give them a second and say, was there anything else? Make sure that you know, you've prompted them once or twice. Is there anything else that you need to share? Now, of course, Hopefully they won't give you their life story. Let's, let's pick a bite-sized piece to begin with at least and get through that. Then once that person is done and has shared everything that they want to share, my job, so when, when you were done, my job then is to reflect back to you what I heard you say. This is not about sharing my own thoughts. This is not about judgment, evaluation, interpretation, contradiction. This is strictly me using objective, neutral reporting language to summarize what I understood you to say. Things like, you said you feel X. You said you need X, but that I do Y. Now, it doesn't matter if you think the other person is off in La La Land with some of the stuff that they've come up with. If he says to me, Laura, the moon's made of cheese, I'm going to repl reply back to him simply, so I just want to make sure I understand, you believe that the moon is made of cheese. Is that correct? I'm not overtly or covertly, implicitly evaluating it. Like, let me get this straight. You say the moon is made of cheese. Do I understand that correctly? Like, for real? That's not where you go. You have to keep that judgment out of it. Very simply, Clearly, I understand that you said X. And with that reflection, the person who had spoken originally, in this case, Larry, if you'd hear my words come back to you, and if I, of course, misunderstood what you said, if, if I was wrong in my reflection, this is your chance to set the record straight with me. Or for that matter, if I said something and I reflected it back to you accurately and you realize, you know what, that is what I said, but it's not actually what I meant, or I misspoke, or it was, I, I forgot to explain this piece with it. It gives you a chance to clarify your own words without fear of judgment from me. So Larry, when I reflected back to you, what I had heard you say originally, how was that experience? It was powerful. It made me realize 
that I have to think before I speak. <laughs> and, a novel idea. Right. And when you would restate and you say, okay, let me get this straight or let me, it actually was somewhat intimidating because I then had to own what I had said. I couldn't say, you misunderstood me when you're feeding me back my own words. Mm. So and that doesn't happen in a normal discussion where someone stops and says, before I go on, I want to make sure that you were heard correctly. So there's enormous power there. And that's going to be impactful because when you do that to people, when you did that to me, it really, if you recall, Laura, I often would restate. I mean, that happened a lot where I realized, no, I was just venting. Hold on. I don't feel that way. So you, you may see that when you deal with highly emotional topics to make people own what they say with emotion may cause that step to bear some back and forth. So that's what happened with us. Right. We joke, Larry's a South Philly Italian, very dramatic, very high energy kind of person. So uh, one of your greatest art forms is the work of hyperbole and exaggeration. You like metaphor, you like colorful language. And overall, it's fun to discuss things like that. But when you're having an argument with somebody, it can feel like there's a lot of overstatement or I can feel there were times when I felt a little attacked by certain things. And when I fed it back, it was a chance for you to say, you know what, that, as you mentioned, that was venting. It's not actually how I feel because otherwise if I had stuck with those original words, then I would feel often hurt by them, by the, what I felt was exaggeration of something that I had done or said. So I was glad that you had a chance to walk back some of that language and adjust it because then I could address and respond to the adjustment rather than the original statement. Because in the originally when I was, when we were just having regular conversations or arguments, I took the bait. You know, you'd make more dramatic kind of exaggerated statements on certain things. And I took it hook, line and sinker and I would get all defensive and get upset by it. And then of course we just went down the rabbit hole and that was the end of that. So I think to me, this curtailed those really unproductive emotional tangents. Was it the same for you? Well, this was what gave birth to my famous phrase, stop listening to what I say, listen to what I mean. Mm. My father used to say that all the time. Yeah, listen to what I mean, not what I say. It's hard to do that if they're not transparent that way. So you get a chance to actually hear you say what you mean. And that's a really critical skill set that a lot of people, frankly, don't have. So I'm glad that that helped us take a really big leap in that direction. So once you're done with that, and those two steps, the reflection, the mirroring, and the clarification back and forth, is that can take a couple of cycles until we're truly clear on my understanding of what you said and what you meant. Once that has been established and you feel like, yes, it's all been check, check, check. I've said everything I need to say and you get it. Then this is a chance for me to, again, before I go into my side of anything, to one, acknowledge anything that I heard him say that maybe I could empathize with or anything that I could appreciate. This is the three A's, acknowledge, apologize, and appreciate. So first, acknowledge. Maybe, you know, I understand why you might have felt hurt this way, or I can appreciate where you need to be, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Number two, apologize. Yes, I now understand why you felt hurt when I said that. And I apologize if I didn't intend to hurt you, but I'm sorry that I did. And I understand X, Y, Z. Appreciate. 
thank you. Maybe you feel like I didn't thank you for something, that I don't give you enough credit for something, that you are constantly doing X, Y, or Z and I'm oblivious to it. This is my chance to go back and make amends on certain things, to thank you or give you credit for something perhaps that I should have done in the past. And then once I've given those three A's, acknowledge, apologize, and appreciate, then this is a chance for you to at least thank me for now giving you those things, which probably you've been wanting for a long time. Larry, how did that side feel for you? It was extremely powerful, effective, and disarming because the topic that I, uh, in your discussion was avoid the conflict, not the issue. So conflict, we're having this conversation because of conflict. This completely disarms the conflict. And to the extent that I was aggressive, it was extremely humbling to hear you take those steps. I felt acknowledged and you were contrite and not that there was blame, but for whatever your side was. And the whole idea was to deescalate the conflict and to build a bridge and to reconcile. It was extremely effective and powerful. And what I think is important to clarify, as you, you alluded to there, it's not about just black and white accepting blame, saying, yes, everything you said is right. Everything I did was wrong. I'm at fault. You're the victim. I'm the villain. Mea culpa. That's not what this is about. It's sometimes, frankly, in these conversations, you may have to dig pretty deep to find something to empathize with. It can be a little nugget, but find something to say, I can understand how perhaps you felt X at that time. And I'm sorry that I contributed to that feeling of hurt. You heard that, Laura. That wasn't something you ever felt with me, of course. You never <laughs> needed to do that with me. You heard other people had that experience. Right? Of course, yeah. of course. Uh, so, but making sure that just, I don't want people to feel like if they acknowledge, apologize, and appreciate that, that they're just sort of accepting blame for the whole thing carte blanche. That's not the key. But find something to validate in what the other person said. That's a critical piece. And once they have hopefully in reciprocity thanked you for that acknowledgement, for that appreciation, then you're going to transition. You may say something along the lines of, okay, now if you feel like you've been heard, may I share some additional thoughts? Okay, now you're switching roles and now you're going to repeat those last few steps. Now, so I become the speaker, he becomes the listener, he takes notes on what I say. Instead, he doesn't interrupt, he doesn't interject. After I'm done sharing my additional thoughts, maybe I'm going to clarify certain details that he missed or where I think he misunderstood certain things. Uh, whatever it is, I'll give my side. However, you may not be able to go through every detail on your page. And frankly, you probably won't and you shouldn't. This is where you have to be very careful and selective in picking what are the, look for themes, don't look for every single instance, prioritize what's most important to address. Hit that first. Don't just go in chronological order of the things that the other person said. And most importantly, and this is a problem that one client had where I was not clear about this little detail and explaining it to her, she had done this with an employee and let him talk first. And then when she went back to share her side, she basically looked at her notes from what he had said and took them as an opportunity to like a court stenographer, look at the transcript and then methodically and litigiously go through line by line and shoot holes in where every error was in what she believed he said. That is not facilitative. That is not helpful. That is not what you are supposed to be doing with your 
partner, your conversation partner in this context. The idea now is simply to be able to look at some big issues, pick and choose what's most important and share your side. Then give them the opportunity to reflect back what you said to them and to give you the chance to clarify if perhaps you misspoke or were melodramatic or left something out, et cetera. So Larry, how did it feel for you when you were taking the notes as you were going? Because originally I seem to remember you just saying, no, I don't need the paper. Yeah, the pen or the paper. Right. And then you forget the other person could have a lot to say too. And each time, you know, I'm sure, I think I did pick up pretty quickly, but I remember saying, but, 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 and you were like, let me finish, let me finish. And that's when I needed, you know, I'm used to a Socratic a dialogue between two people. But for this, I really had to bite my tongue. And I wanted to remember because you, when you realize it goes on and there's other points that, you know, the layers get deeper and deeper. I, I, it was necessary and it was helpful and it was important to do. So and I it's not to you. say that this wasn't Socratic, or at least it, let me rephrase that, that it's not discussion, that it's not dialogue. It is. That's the whole point. But it's dialogue where there's a little bit more formally structured turn-taking involved, as opposed to just anybody can jump on each other, grabbing the ball, basketball style, whenever they wanted to. This had more rules, as it were, or a little bit more structure to when you're allowed to participate in what way. So I don't want people to think that this is not dialogue. If anything, this definitely is. It's just an initial step because then we would enter an exchange that was quite rhythmical. Then we got into our pattern and our flow and it was good. But at first, there's usually a whole bunch of issues that people have that they want to get off their chest. And that's when it's important not to interrupt because otherwise you don't hear. If your mouth is moving, how can your ears be working or how can you take right. in and doing two things at the same time? So it was necessary and I had a list and then I was able to respond and not forget anything important. So it was. And you bring up a really important point and it's something that I talk about in the book, which is that most people, when they're listening, are not listening to understand. They're listening to respond. It's like they're watching kids playing double Dutch jump rope on the playground, and they're just watching the ropes spin, 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 and trying to figure out, okay, when am I going to jump in? Can I jump in now? No, wait, wait, now? Uh, okay, now. If you're just sitting there waiting for your moment to jump into the conversation, you're not hearing a blessed thing. And this is an opportunity to shift from listening to respond into listening to understand. And that changes everything. So, uh, so I'm glad you brought that issue up. Now, what about the experience of having to mirror or to reflect back to me what you heard me say with no interpretation to it? I remember it being a necessary step when I knew I was going to have to do it. You have to listen. You can't, when you're forced to repeat and summarize, it improves your listening. So the whole key is remind the other person you're talking to that you have to give that back and then you can do it. Otherwise, you do daydream. You don't necessarily pay attention because you don't want to. And so that is a really critical, important part of that. And so when I did that, I knew you, I knew I was hearing you because I knew I had to give it back to you. Sure, sure. And that was very helpful for me to, to feel like somebody wasn't just going to steal the ball on the court and run down, that I was going to be able to finish my thought. I was going to be able to organize my ideas as I was going without the pressure of fearing the interruption and just knowing that you had actually heard and listened to everything that I was saying. And it's not to say that you need to give back every point, but the main points were there. And if there ever was an interpretation involved, and this is where you have to be a little you know, careful and diplomatic and objective with your partner, because if they do slide into something like, okay, so you know, you're saying that I do X, Y, and Z, and so I'm a bad husband or a bad wife. No, 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 no. I didn't say that part. Don't interpret my words. 
I did say that you do X, Y, and Z. I did say that I don't like it or that it makes me feel this way. I did not say or imply that you're a bad partner because of it. So I think just having the chance to clarify those pieces and redirect somebody back on track to that objective language is something that can be hard to do without emotion in it. But to be willing to do it and able to do it and for the other partner to hear it and say, you're right, I'm sorry, I added that piece in myself. You did not say that. You said X. It's an important step and it eliminates misunderstanding. And it's a little difficult, frankly, when you're to just be able to take all of your own opinion and interpretation and emotion out of it and keep it purely linguistically objective. Frankly, it's something that some people need a little time to work on in practice. It may not come naturally or easily the first couple of times around, but that's okay. It's all part of the learning curve. And then, of course, once we've done the clarification, we go into those three A's again. Larry had a chance to acknowledge anything that he could empathize with regarding what I said, some, some opportunity to validate. He did apologize for the things that he recognized he could have done differently. And he did thank me for things where I felt like I needed more credit or I hadn't been appreciated for something in the past, et cetera. And I obviously said to thank you, I thanked him in return for finally getting that validation, the appreciation or acknowledgement that I had wanted. So by the end, now, of course, you may end up having to go back for multiple cycles in this, but when we started following these protocols, it just, to me, you know, that first year or so that we started using them, I think we probably used them a half a dozen times or so over the the course of that year. And really, once you get the hang of it, you don't need the protocols. You don't need the whatever because those skills, the ability to listen and just reflect objectively, to ask for clarification on certain things, the importance of being able to acknowledge certain pieces without necessarily accepting blame, carte blanche, et cetera, when those skills become part of your skill set and you can use them freely, safely, and effectively, successfully, then you can start to apply those in any conversation and future discussions just get easier because they don't escalate to the point where you need the paper and the worksheet after a while. Larry, any final thoughts on this topic? Just that I do remember doing it much more frequently when we were first married or first dating for that matter, whenever we picked it up. And then I don't remember the last time we needed to do it. Then it becomes natural, becomes part of your skill set. And just that from learning this, it transfers into every aspect of your life. We worked this out and this discussion through our marriage, but I have a political discussion group And I was able to use these skills to discuss someone who had the diametrical opposite political beliefs, and you find out what the substance is or what the disagreement is, and it enables you to have conversations that you couldn't have before. So it's extremely powerful, and I encourage people to use it and share it. And that's exactly the point, is that just like learning a sport, you need to do some development drills before you jump into the actual match and learning to communicate through conflict without actively engaging in combat begins with learning these kinds of steps as well. So I invite everybody out there to download my Listening to Understand Conflict Management Worksheet, or for that matter, to read the whole book, and practice these steps at home, working on small issues first. And as you get comfortable with these skills, I hope you'll take them with you to turn that willingness to engage into active participation in real, meaningful, collaborative dialogue on these harder discussions out there. Be sure to establish the safe space for others to make mistakes, redirecting each other, learning from each other as part of the discussion, and being humble enough to learn from your own mistakes as we have these discussions as well, because that's when we'll truly start to move the needle. 
So in closing, Larry, thank you so much for joining me today and being part of this conversation. Laura, thank you for having me. And I'm glad my son and me listening to Zootopia every night doesn't bother you. <laughs> yes, our little one is, uh, is quite obsessed with that. So uh, needless to say, that song has been playing on loop in my head for quite a while now. But to the rest of you out there, thank you for listening and for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my quick start guide to mastering the three C's, command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.